An Ode to Motherhood. In the beginning, Mom created the breakfast and the lunch. The household was without form and void. Darkness hovered over the faces of deep sleep. And Mom said, let there be light. And there was light. Her children did not appreciate the glare at 6.30 a.m., but Mom saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning another day. Mom said, let the waters of the bathroom be gathered together in one place and let the dry ground stay dry. And Mom called the waters bath. And the dry ground she called the rest of the bathroom. She saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning another day. Mom said, let every lunchbox sprout with vegetables after their kind, at least one serving of fruit, but only a single cookie. And let the upstairs bring forth laundry from its firmament. And mom saw that it was good. And mom said, let the lesser lights that govern the house by, by uh, night yield to the greater light that governs the house by day. Indeed, may the lesser lights be turned off when leaving the room. And it was so. Then mom said to her husband, we have brought forth children in our own image, male and female. We have created them, although your son could really use a haircut. Then she said to her daughter, be fruitful and multiply. After a dramatic pause, she said, in fact, add, subtract, and divide after you, and finish all of your homework that your teacher has assigned you. Mom blessed her children and said, I have given over to you every animal of the downstairs and every fish of the upstairs. They will be yours to feed. And it was so. After six days, mom had matched every sock according to its kind and kissed every boo-boo. She knew after the weekend, her call to bring order to chaos would sound again. So she declared a day of rest, a day without lunch boxes, swim practice, or carpools. And mom gave thanks for Sunday. <laughs> All right. Well, I wrote that just for fun. But also, as a way in to talking about this morning, how you create an environment that's generous. Motherhood is no picnic. It's not a picnic in the scriptures, and it's not a picnic today. You know, you think of some of the first moms in, in scripture. Uh, Eve had a lot of heartache over her motherhood. You think of her. Uh, Rachel and, and Sarah and Hannah all struggled with infertility. Taking on the burden of children is a lifetime. It's a lifetime of worry sometimes of uncertainty, but we can all learn from motherhood. We can learn how, as, as uh, Peter Drucker says, culture eats vision for breakfast. Have you noticed that? Maybe you set a vision for something, or maybe you have an idea about how the trip is going to go, or maybe you're in charge of of, of the way that things run at, at, at the table or in a business or in, in some kind of environment, you're trying, to, you're trying to say, hey, let's go this way, and the culture, the culture takes it over. So this morning, let's talk about how you create an environment that brings out the best in everyone through the lens of motherhood. A culture creating an environment that brings out the best in everyone. That's a powerful thing to do. That's a certain generosity of spirit, of leadership, 
And I think we can learn that through motherhood, which is running in the background of the passage I'm about to read. From the Word of God, Luke chapter 18, starting with verse 15 and running through 17. Hear God's Word this morning. Now they were bringing even infants to him, that is to Jesus, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so we're talking about how do you create a generous environment. We're looking through the lens of motherhood. We're going to take it in three phases, all right? I do, you watch. You do, I watch. You do, someone else watches. So the first phase of generous leadership, you can see this through the lens of motherhood, is I do, you watch. And that's, that's the phase of creating an environment where it's okay to depend. It's okay to depend on somebody. I do, you watch, right? It's all right. We, we need each other. And for the first couple of decades of our life, we're in that posture as children depending on our parents, but particularly on our moms. Verse 15 talks about that there's a certain kind of virtue to this. There's a value to it. For such is the kingdom of God. He's, you know, Jesus was a master communicator. He takes, uh, he takes a child and puts him right in the center, and he says, this, this is going to be your image, a living parable of a way of living life. So you picture that child, that child dependent on someone else. So often, you, you, have to, you, you have to help people unlearn things that aren't true. And so he takes a child, and he, he, he wants to convey something. What's he saying with a child? He's saying sometimes it's okay to depend. I mean, the first third of your life really in some ways, is so dependent upon other people. And is that just a phase you're trying to get through, get behind you? Is it embarrassing? Is it shameful? Jesus is saying, no, there, there's some value here to depending. Uh, there was a, a sign on this textile mill. It said, if your thread gets tangled, stop. Call the foreman. There's a new gal on the, uh, on the line, and her thread got tangled. And she thought, well, I'll see what I can do to just kind of fix this. And she, she started to mess with it. And anybody who's a fisherman in here knows how this goes, right? And just, oh, it's just a loop, you know, just a little loop. And then I start pulling that loop. And then you create another loop. And then suddenly it's worse. And she, suddenly, she, 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 finally, she says, all right, I'm going to call the foreman. So she calls the foreman. He comes over. And she says, I did the best I could. And he says, no, you didn't. The best you could was to call me first. This first phase of your life, the first 
20, 25 years of your life. I mean, you know, they say um, kids' brains are still growing till age 25, 26. I think mine's still growing. I don't know. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I still feel like the executive function is just slowly gaining ground over all the other functions, you know? The first third of your life, though, is dependent. Is it just something to get through? Or is there something in the design of life that we're supposed to learn for life, for the way? You know, originally, people weren't called Christians. It was called the way. Christianity was called the way. There's a certain way of being. And to create an environment where it's okay to depend on each other is a good thing. I think of somebody who who was very good in business. This is long ago and far away. No way to identify this person, but uh, somebody who was very, very good in business, made, made a fortune, uh, was very effective, but his style was command and control. And so he thought, well, I, I, I'm good in business. I'll be great in the church, right? Because it's a lot easier there, right? So, so he comes to the church, and he fails. Not only does he fail, he alienates all kinds of people. And not only that, all of his command and control the rest of his life starts to unravel because he's getting into a phase of his life where the seed of bitterness that he sowed in every other area of his life began to bear sour fruit. He had created an environment where nobody could fail. They were afraid to fail because he was afraid to fail. He was afraid to depend. He was afraid to to be in a kind of environment where it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to, to admit that you were wrong. It's okay to depend upon other people. He was all about command and control, and he built an empire as a result. But what was the cost? The cost of environment at home. The cost of an environment around the boardroom table. The cost of an environment within the whole leadership structure and, and work environment of that entire company. This was not a pleasant person because he did not enjoy being around him. You know, you, you know the old saying, um, God helps those who help themselves, right? Where, that, that's from Deuteronomy chapter what? No. That's Ben Franklin from Poor Richard's Almanac. And people think that's scripture because we say things over and over again and we, we, we start to think we give them power because they, they are catchy. God helps those who help themselves. No. What Jesus is saying is, to such is the kingdom of God. Those who know that they, like, like a child, a baby. A baby can only see, what, eight inches for the first, you know, six months of his life, her life. That's a hint. It's like, <laughs> this is her world. She needs, it's just right here. This is where she needs to stay. And Jesus is saying, to a certain extent, you need to look up for help. You and I need to continue to keep that connection, that, that visible connection, that eight-inch connection between us and God. That's how you live in the kingdom. That's how you develop an environment. That's how you live the way in such a way that brings out the best in other people. It's to continue to know that, to have the humility to call the foreman rather than say, well, I'll, I'll, get, this, I'll get this fixed. It's to remember. You know, Jesus says in, in, uh, in Matthew uh, eleven twenty five, 25, 
something similar to this. He's saying, thank you, Lord, that you hid this from the wise and the learned, and you revealed it to children. Why is he saying thank you? Does he want some people not to get the kingdom? No, he's saying he wants, he wants there to be an environment where people can depend on each other, an environment where people continue to have the humility that, they're, that, that they continue to depend upon God. Thank you, Lord, that you're revealing this in a way that we have a living illustration of what it takes for human beings to have an environment where everyone's best emerges. So how do you, how do you create that kind of environment? Phase one, I do, you, you watch. It's okay to depend. It's okay to have weaknesses. It's okay to fail. It's okay to be a human being. I do, you watch. But then the second yields to the second phase, which is you do, I watch. And this is, an, this is a generosity. The first was a generosity of effort. The second phase is a, a generosity of patience, okay? You do, I watch. You think about that, right? Mother's little helper, right? How does that go? <laughs> oh, let me help, Mom, right? No, I can barely reach the counter, but I want to help you clean up the peanut butter off of it. Oh, that'll be great. That's going to work out really well for mom, right? You do, I watch. Patience to let somebody else be a part of us, be a part of what's going on. In the first phase, it's like the, the, the problem where the wheels come off in the environment is when somebody has command control and it's like, it's like I want the thing to to be on my timetable and in my way, and I get the glory. In the second phase, you're trying to enable somebody, empower somebody to have competencies, but here you're celebrating someone who wants to be a part of the bigger thing, you see? I want to be a part of what we're doing. And you can see that. Verse 16. Do not hinder the little children to come from me. You know, there's a, there's a season of life, I don't know if it was the Victorian age or the Edwardian age, but it was sort of cliche that children were to be seen but not heard. Seen but not heard. And Jesus is saying no. And, and, and that's similar to what this same culture is like. You know, there's a strict hierarchy here, and children were not even considered to be fully human in some ways, right? They weren't looked upon as people, but just smaller. And Jesus is saying, include them. Do not hinder them. Do not barricade their way. I mean, this, when you look at the whole range of meaning and hinder, you see, don't get in their way. Free them up. You know, there, there's a continuum between, uh, you know, getting it, you know, the, the way that you do something expedient and the way that you empower somebody else to do something. There's a continuum between expediency and empowerment. A continuum. On this side, it gets done just the way it needed to get done because you did it, right? But if you always have to do it for it to get done the right way, then you always will, right? But if you take time and patience to empower somebody else, right, you're creating an environment where it might not be done perfectly. It might not be done your way. It might not be done even very well. But you're, you're empowering, enabling somebody else to emerge. And in the long run, you do get a helper. You do get teamwork, empowerment, 
versus expediency. When, when, when Beth and I would go with uh, a family that we uh, got very close to in, in, uh, in Signal Mountain, we'd go on vacations together, and we'd go down to the beach, and we'd all pile into one big house, and um, sometimes it would fall across a Sunday, and we'd say, all right, well, I'm, I'm definitely not doing the worship service because <laughs> this is vacation, and, um, and, and so we would have the kids do the worship service. And there was one time, and it's, it's a lot of fun to see what happens with this. It's like, all right, go for it. Do what you, let's see what you come up with, you know. And just to sign out these different parts. And so, uh, you know, seven children all taking part in this thing. And one of them gets up there and says, well, welcome to uh, Beach House Presbyterian Church. Um, there have been no deaths and no births and no marriages. And nobody's in the hospital. And I thought to myself, yeah, that's true, but the week is young, right? <clears throat> but it was fun. It was so much fun watching them, you know, do this and lead us through this worship service and take charge of it. I see this in our church. I mean, that's how our church is set up. We have 11 teams here. If you want to be on one, then we want to put you on one. Uh, in, in fact, one of the things that, that we're always pushing is teamwork. I mean, don't do it by yourself. You will burn out, right? I've said this so many times. We don't want you burning out. Please develop your team, right? It, it's not easy to, to work with a team. It, it, it's harder at first, but then by the end of your three years, you're going to have a real team, and you're just going to be just sort of putting little touches on that flywheel. You're just going to get up, and you're going to say, all right, just, hey, y'all are doing a great job. And just, you know, now everybody has, and sometimes people will have this, this, this attitude, like they'll say this, they'll say, oh, I, I can't, you know, I couldn't ask somebody to do that. I, I, I feel bad asking them to do, to help me with this. And I'll say, well, do you feel bad doing it? <laughs> I mean, are you upset that we asked you to do it? Oh, no, no, I love it. It's a, it's, this is great. I, I, actually, I'm, I feel blessed to do it. I mean, I feel I feel energized by it. I love it. And I said, well, do you hear yourself? Do you hear that you're really robbing somebody else from being a part of it? I think more often than not, what it is is <clears throat> it's just easier to do it ourselves. But phase two, don't, let, don't hinder people around you. Create an environment where other people can emerge where you're, you may be stepping to the background a little bit and somebody else is emerging and their gifts are beginning to flourish and express the, themselves in the midst. This is a picture of the kingdom of God. This is a picture of generous leadership. This is a picture of an environment, of a culture that brings out everyone's best. Well, the, the last phase of generous leadership, of, of motherhood, you can see now, you can see where this is going. You do, someone else watches. This is where motherhood and leadership get so much more generous because it, it's about creating an environment of freedom. It's about letting go, right? I mean, <laughs> literally, you know, those who, and we've had so many births in the past couple of years. It's amazing, this place. And, and these moms and dads, literally, this is how you receive this child. Just like that. When they put them into your hands, 
you have to hold your hands like this. It's like, like this. This is how you receive the child, isn't it? Your hands are, what, what directions are my hands facing? You know, you don't receive a child like this, right? Okay, <laughs> now I've tried this. Now, I've, I've actually, one time I was doing these flips with the kids on the, uh, they don't know this, but this might be on film, actually, and I was flipping them, and I was sort of grabbing them by the ankles, and then I was sort of flipping them up and grabbing them by the wrists and flipping them up and grabbing them, the and I missed one time. I was like, I had Caroline like this, and her, her hands, and I flipped her like this, and I was going to grab her ankles, and it was like, I missed the ankles, and fortunately, she was wearing these Oshkosh Bagosh kind of, you know, things that had the, you know, the... What, what, what am I trying to say? These little straps and all the overalls? Yeah, sort of short overalls. And so I just grabbed her by the seat and was like, oh, that worked out great. But this isn't how you hold on to kids. This isn't how you receive them. This isn't what you do eventually. You have to hold them like this. And as soon as you get them, moms and dads, you know this, young moms and dads especially, you get them like this, but then how, how quickly how quickly you want to turn their hands over and just like grip them like, you know, not mad at them, but just, just do what I say or, you know, like stay safe, okay? Or like, you know, you know, please do your homework or whatever it is, you know, you just, mm. then there's a time when you just, it's better to keep your hands like this. It's hard. A time when you have to let them go. You have to turn them loose. You have to set them free. Oh, that's painful. That's very difficult. That's generous. Verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that they might touch him. Can you think about that? Who's bringing infants to them? Mom? Dad? Why? <laughs> Gosh, because as soon as you get them, you recognize your limitations, don't you? It's like, whoa, I remember when we, when we took our three home. You know, all at once. I mean, that was wild. It's like the NICU was taking care of them for nine days. I'm like, hey, this is a great deal. We're just going to keep this up. We get to visit them, and y'all take care of them, and we go home and sleep, and this is a good deal. Can we keep this going for a couple more years? You know, this would be great. But then they put them in the back of my little Jeep Cherokee, and I thought, oh, my goodness, now what? Now it's like all on us, and you realize your limitations, your limitations. And generosity is letting go. It's letting go so that they can do so much more, so that they can become more, so that you're really multiplying the values that you stand for in and through them, ideally, right? But you have to let them go to do that. Now imagine, imagine this one. Imagine letting this one go, this particular child. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish have everlasting life. And this is baked in to the story of the ages, to the plan of salvation, that we are multiplying ourselves in and through the next generation. R.G. Letourneau built an empire around the golden age of, of the United States. R.G. Letourneau was uh, known as sort of the king of earth-moving equipment. And he built a massive empire. And at the end of his life, you know, there was a lot of question, who was going to inherit all this? Who was going to be in control of all this? And he set things up in such a way that his children had a role, but not so that his children would take the wealth and just sort of coast on out into the sunset with it. Because he knew they had gifts. 
they had something to bring to the world. And he famously said, he said, I'm not leaving the world to my children. I'm leaving my children to the world. And so he thought of legacy not in terms of R.G. Letourneau. He thought of legacy in terms of how am I multiplying myself into the lives of other people, whether they're my children or not? How am I multiplying myself into the lives of the people I have influence over, the people I'm having coffee with? How am I helping to take the kingdom of God, the way of Christ, walking and following him? How am I multiplying myself into the lives of people around me? That's my legacy. That's your legacy. Not how many... uh, how many uh, accoutrements of achievement that you can pile up, how many things they put on your gravestone, how many uh, people acclaim that you conquered, but how many people sit under a tree that you planted that you never enjoyed, where you never enjoyed the shade? I love that. I love that expression. We all sit under the shade of a tree that someone else planted. What tree are you called to plant under which you will never sit, whose fruit you will never enjoy or see? What tree are you called to plant so that your legacy is something that translates and multiplies into the lives of other people, maybe even unbeknownst to them? How are you quietly creating an environment where people around you can thrive? How are you creating an environment that brings out the best in other people? How are you creating an environment where your energy is going into the success of the lives of the people around you? You see, this is the kind of upside-down economy, upside-down kingdom that we're called to live in. See, Christianity isn't about just getting the salvation uh, ticket right for ourselves. It's it's really about getting salvation and heaven into us that we may create it around us, even in the ways that we live and move and have our being. You know, it's a mess to say my legacy is never going to be enough. I mean, I think that's pretty much what's going on in Ukraine today. Somebody who never is going to be big enough someone who's never going to be powerful enough, somebody whose security is rooted in this world, somebody who, who has to run over other people so that he can be bigger. You know, it's just sandbox ethics, right? Playground sandbox ethics. And you see the fruit of that kingdom, the sour fruit of someone having to be more than they are, the ego that has, it's just never, the world is not enough. And then you see Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but humbled himself. And took on the nature of a servant, and being found in human nature, in human likeness, humbled himself, and became obedient unto death even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. Can you see the passage? Theirs is the kingdom. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. This is your life. The way, the truth, and the life. When we follow after him, sometimes you do, and they have to watch. Sometimes they do, and you watch. You're elevating them such that they can do and other people may watch. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how generous have you been to us that we follow the master of the way. Thank you that you are about your business of creating us again, recreating us in your image and likeness. May we so walk in the dust of the rabbi. May we so walk in the dust of the rabbi that people might wish to be more like us in ways that we are more like him. In Jesus' name, amen.